0: So once again, have you noticed the pattern we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks? That my connection up is connected to something I'm doing on the side. Revelation is more than just him speaking to me and me listening. It has a lot to do with what's happening in my life. And that makes sense. We've seen that a lot. If I'm committing transgression, it's going to affect the flow of revelation. But we began to see there were some things that maybe we don't think about. Two weeks ago, revelation from Heavenly Father is affected by how I treat my body, what I eat, how I sleep. And that's an odd connection until you realize it, and then it makes a perfect sense. Revelation from Him depends on how well I forgive the people who offend me. And again, that's an odd connection, but it makes sense that I get to decide how much mercy I receive by how much mercy I give. So let's keep that thing going because I find it all over the scriptures. Now give me a minute to preface this because I want to talk about two sides. I'm going to draw this on both sides because I think the scriptures are telling us that there's a connection to the people. The people I let into my life and the people I don't let into my life have an impact on this. And I think you've known that. When you hang out with crowds that detract from, my, from heaven, it affects my flow of revelation. When I surround myself with the kind of people that increase that flow of revelation, and so let me, let's see it in scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I want to talk about kind of a fun little parable that seems odd when you piece it all together. Matthew chapter 13 is a collection of a whole bunch of parables. And the first one is the parable of the sower. We really should call it the parable of the soil because the variable isn't the person who threw the soil. So- so seed. It's the soil in which the seed fell. And that's a great parable. But then afterwards, he gives this parable, the parable of the wheat and the tare. So this is Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven was likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Wheat. And then this phrase. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Now, they start growing, and then the servants ask, wait a minute, should we dig up the the tares? No, if you do, you'll tear up the wheat. So what did he say? Verse 30, let both grow together together until the harvest and then we'll separate them. Now that's an interesting little parable but he doesn't really explain much. The disciples ask a few verses later in verse 36 declare us the parable of the tares in the field and all he does is he says hey the person who sowed the good seed was the son of man the field is the world the good seed are the children of the kingdom." And then he declares that the bad guys, the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Therefore, the tares are gathered and burned into the fire. What's the point? Can anyone tell me what's the point? Wheat and tares growing together, someday there's going to be harvest and they'll be separated. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't make much of a point. That's not like the other parables that have a clear application. Look at the next one. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard that you planted in your seed and became a big tree. I can see an application. But what's the point of the wheat and the tares growing together? And so turn with me to section 86 of the Doctrine and Covenant. Now, unlike, I I can't think of another parable that gets this much attention in the Doctrine and Covenants. Parable of the wheat and the tares gets an entire section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Go to section 86. Verse 1, he says, Thus saith the Lord unto you, my servants, concerning the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now he says, I think, something he couldn't say in the New Testament. Remember that phrase we, I highlighted, that while men slept? This, the tares were sown while men slept. Now he explains what that is. He says, the field is the world, the apostles are the sowers, and after they, the apostles, have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, sowed the tares. In other words, he was telling them that this parable has to do with the latter days. That Jesus sowed the good seed, and during the apostasy, Satan sows the tares. So in what time period are the wheat and the tares growing together? In your lifetime. This is a commentary on the life you live. You live in a world where you can't tell the difference between wheat and tares. The Lord is letting them grow together Therefore, let the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest is fully ripe. This is a reality of what you have to deal with. Now, if you were to go to the Bible dictionary, let me flip there quickly. Here's the Bible dictionary. I think I have it looked up. Yep. Here's the Bible dictionary. Tell me, what a, tell me what's significant about tares. Jeff, what do you see? It's poison and keep going. So tears are poisonous and until they come to head and until the ear pops out, which is the very last stage of growth, you can't tell the difference. So tell me one of the biggest commentaries of your life is sometimes you can't tell the difference between good stuff and poison. That's the challenge of living in the latter days. He's waving his arm saying, do you want to know what it's going to be like in the latter days? Poison will look like wheat. Now, as I contemplate that, as I ponder, okay, what does that mean in a practical setting? I see four possibilities. Two are positive and two are negative. One practical application is that you are going to see people or see something as wheat, and what it really is, is wheat. You saw someone and said, that is a good person. That is someone that will bless my life, and you invited them into your life, and they turned out to be wheat, and you got it right. How many times have you gotten it right? How many times, looking back on your life, did you say, Man, I'm glad that was part of my life because I saw wheat and it was wheat. That's a positive. Now, what's the other positive? I looked and I saw tear. You're a poison. I want nothing to do with you. I want to keep you out of my life. And I've lived long enough to see that, oh my goodness, that was in fact a poison. I'll never forget, vividly, I was 11 years old. We were camping. And I found a package of cigarettes. And my little boy heart was intrigued. Something inside me said, that's a poison. Don't even touch it. Leave it alone. And I've lived long enough to say, I am so grateful for that little boy who said, it's a poison and I think he got it right. I kept something out of my life that I've watched destroy other people. I think I got it right. But what are the challenges? If what Jesus is saying is true, what are the harsh realities of your life? What are you and I, what are all of us going to do occasionally? Number one, I look at someone or something and see wheat. But what are they? Have you ever done that? Have you ever welcomed someone or something into your life that you thought was friend and it turned out to be foe, and it was poison. You ever been conned? Scammed? Have you been harmed by a friend who you thought was your friend and then turned out to be your no, this is no friend? These are painful, aren't they? We let a poison into our life thinking it was friend and then it poisoned me. What's the other negative? I think I see tear. But what is it really? Have you missed an opportunity that would have been an enormous blessing because you thought it was an enemy? Now these These are okay. I got it right, but these are painful. In this one, I poison myself, and in this one, I go without the help that would have blessed me. Now, back to our thought. Do those two have an effect on what's coming from heaven? If I am letting tears into my life, will it affect my relationship with Heavenly Father? And if I am not letting the kind of people that would inspire me into my life, will it have an effect on my relationship with Heavenly Father? So, New Testament, Jesus is waving his arms, but he doesn't really explain it. And I think the reason he doesn't explain it is because it has to do with the apostasy in our day. Section 86, he tells the story. And he doesn't talk about other parables in the Doctrine and Covenants like this one. So it's in the New Testament, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Let me point out where this is in the Book of Mormon. This is one of the most famous stories of the Book of Mormon. Can you think of a time the people saw wheat, saw what they thought was friend, and it turned out to be foe. They let a foe in thinking he was a friend, and he poisoned them. And can you think of a time they kept a wheat out because they saw it was an enemy? This is King Noah, and this is Abinadi. Now, where does the Lord put that story? Where does he put the story of Noah and Abinadi? He doesn't tuck it in a corner, does he? That is the first, other than Nephi's record, which is, you know, was added, you know, that Martin lost 116 pages. This is the first major story we get. And it's this same weed, and, this is the weed and the tears. This is Heavenly Father waving his arm, saying, do you understand what life in the latter days is about? So let's turn to Noah in a Let's just tell the story. Turn to Mosiah chapter 11, and you answer this question. Under what circumstance is this man my friend? How in the world did they see this man as friend? Go to Mosiah chapter 11. Let's start in verse 2. What's he doing in verse 2? What are we watching him do right there in front of us? Mosiah chapter 11, verse 2. What is he doing in verse 2? He's, and right before that, he had many wives and concubines. Now, this is not, remember, there was Zarahemla and Zenith left to go live among the Lamanites. That's where Noah is. It's this small little group that left the Nephites. So, where are these women coming from? This isn't a large group. Where are these women coming from? They are our sisters, our daughters. Our mothers, and we're watching the king take them as his wives. How is that our friend? Verse 3, what's he doing? He taxes taxes them, pretty high tax. Now, I can live with a high tax if I'm getting something out of it. But what are they getting? Look at verse 4, what's he doing with the taxes? We're supporting him in his laziness. Let's read verse 6. And thus they, meaning the people, were supporting in their, were supported, sorry, they, meaning the king and his priests, were supported in their laziness, in their idolatry, in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah had put upon his people, and thus the people labor exceedingly to support him. So we're busting our fannies so he can live a riotous life with his women. How is this, my friend? In what world is this man my friend? He builds him a palace. Verse 14, he placed his heart upon riches and spent his time in riotous living with his wives and concubines. Verse 15, he's a drunk. He makes wine in abundance. Do you see that this man is not, friend? Pretty clear to you and I, right? So why were they so blind? Let's go back to verse two. Naomi, what did you just read? I think Naomi read a key here. How in the world are they going to see him as friend? Well, he did cause his people to commit sin. Anyone who tells you it's okay to sin. The blinders are going to go on and instead of seeing foe, you're going to start to see friend. Anyone who tells you it's okay to sin. How about verse seven? Why might they see him as friend? And a lot of Noahs in your life are going to do this. What are they going to do? Flatter you. How do scams usually work? There are, did you hear about that lady who gave $150,000 of their life saving to a con artist? $150,000 she sent to a con artist. How do scams usually work? Right there. That's it. And instead of seeing the reality, you see friend instead of someone who's trying to help you, and instead it's someone who's trying to hurt you. How about verse 12? What's another reason? He built a tower Why would you build a tower? You put put a lookout on it, right? So he's making his people feel safe. The Noahs of our lives are going to make you feel safe. They're going to flatter you. How about verse 15? He provides wine and allows them. He gives it to his people. In other words, you're probably not surprised. Verse 29, the eyes of the people were blinded. Because of all that, what did they see when they looked at Noah? Friend or foe? They saw a friend. In no way is he a friend. But they are fooled. They've done this. They have led a poison into their life and because they're blinded. Now watch what they do to Abinadi. Okay? Abinadi shows up, verse 20. There was a man named Abinadi who went forth among them. And what does he say? What's his message? What kind of things does Abinadi say? Look at 20 and 21. You better repent. You better change. You're going to be destroyed. And what do they hear? You're not saying nice things. You're not my friend. You're mean. You're telling me to repent. I don't want to hear that. And with those blinders on, what do they see when they look at Abinadi? Now tell me, what was Abinadi's goal? What's the whole reason Abinadi's saying what he's saying? What's his goal, Naomi? He's trying to save their lives. But what did they see when they looked at him? Notice verse 26. Came to pass that when Abinadi had spoken these words, they were wroth with him and sought to take away his life. What did they see? But who was he? Did you ever ever do this with your mom or your dad when you were a kid? And mom was kind of being harsh on you. And you're not my, you're the worst me. you've ever said that. Have you ever said you're the worst mother in the whole world? Because what did you see in that moment? Tear. But what was she doing in that moment? Trying to help you. Do you see how easy it is to put those blinders on? What does this story in the Book of Mormon tell you about the life in which we live? Now, chapter 12, it gets worse for Abinadi. He comes in, look at all the things. I, I highlighted them in orange. Here are all the harsh things that Abinadi says, and yet every one of them come true. Every one of these happens. You'll have burdens lashed upon your backs, pestilence, hail, east wind, great persecute, great pestilence, Utterly destroyed, driven by man, smitten on the cheek, brought into bondage. <coughs> Every one of those came to pass. Every one of those happened. And Abinadi was trying to warn them. But what was their reaction? Look at verse 9. When you're blind and you don't see clearly, and someone's trying to help you, someone's trying to do something that really is for your good, what is sometimes we do? They were angry with him. They took him and bound him before the king. Verse 13, what do they say? People who have, this is what I call Noah blindness. Noah blindness is when you think you see friend, but it's really a foe. Or you think you see foe, but it's really a friend. Noah blind people always use the J word. Verse 13, what's the J word? I hear this all the time. What do they always say? You're judging us. You're judging him. I've had a front row seat watching teenagers for 30 years, and quite often they'll look at mom or dad or someone who's really a really good friend who's trying to help them because they've let a Noah into their life. And what do they often say? You're judging. One of the telltale signs that someone is Noah blind is you're judging. No, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to save you. Do you ever watch someone, did you watch a friend go through this when you were in high school? Drugs and alcohol are a very common Noah. They start getting involved in drugs and alcohol and what do their real friends say? What would you say if a friend started to get involved with drugs and alcohol? What would you say to them? What are you doing? And what would they say? You're not my friend. You're being mean. You're judging me. No, I'm just trying to save you. So tell me what they do to Abinadi. Tell me what they do to this man. They burned him. They destroyed him. They burned the one person who was sent to save them. Now, here's the tragedy. What I just hate. I've watched this my whole life. Satan always lifts up those blinders so I can see right when it's too late. Watch him, watch him, watch him do that with, a, with Noah. Ready? Go to chapter 19. Let, let me tell you how this story ends. Mosiah chapter 19, there's a man named Gideon who comes to see who Noah is. Gideon can see that the biggest threat to their society is King Noah. So he comes and he's going to kill him. He's going to kill King Noah. So they start fighting and they get up on a tower. And when they were on the tower, he saw that the army of the Lamanites were within the borders of the land. And he says, Gideon, spare me for the Lamanites are upon us and they will destroy us and they will destroy my people. I need someone to read verse 8. Mosiah 19, verse 8. Naomi, Naomi would you mind? And now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own mind. One more time. Uh, the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was one more time. The king was not so much concerned about his people as he was. He is not your friend. He is not your friend. All these Noahs that we've let in and we've convinced ourselves that they're good for us, and even though we see flaws, they are not our friends. They are not concerned about you. They are not. They are only concerned about themselves. That is the harsh reality of all the Noahs in our lives. In spite of all the flattering and everything that they do, they are not our friend. They are not concerned about you. Who was concerned about them? Abinadi and they burned him. So Gideon spares him. Now, what does he say? Tell me what my friend says. Tell me what my friend, I'll be Noah blind, okay? What does my friend say I should do? Run. Flee before the Lamanite army. Okay, now let me, I have a picture of my family. let me see if I have a picture of my family. A recent one. Let me show you my crew. Ready? Okay, let me just, maybe an older one. Okay, here's an older one. This is my crew. This is my crew when my son came home from his mission. Okay? What are the chances that family outruns the Lamanite army? Because I got too many little ones, right? We got Owen and Rosie and Jonah. So how about I carry Owen? And McKay can carry Jonah, and Ashley can carry Rosie. Well, what about Keegan? He can't outrun the Lamanite army, so we'll have Spencer carry Keegan. So we're running. Now, what about Corbin or Logan? Or what about my 16-year-old daughter? What are the chances she outruns the Lamanite army? But what are the chances any one of us can carry her? So we're running. We're running from the Lamanite army and we're falling behind because of my family. That's the problem, my family's the problem. So I look to my king, I got my blinders on and I look to my friend and I say, what should I do, friend? What should I do? Verse 11, tell me what my friend says. What does my friend say? Leave the women and the children, and because of my blinders, I do it. I put my son down, I let go of my wife's hand, and the adult men run. Now, will we outrun the Lamanite army? Yes, because they're going to stop right when they get to my family. So they get to a clearing, and they must have just. Oh, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden, what would you do if you were one of them? What would you do, Cambry, if all of a sudden you stopped running, you were safe, and all of a sudden, what would you think? What have I done? I left my family. So verse 19, many of them swore in their hearts they would return. I'm going back. I am going back. And who stands up to stop them? Who says, no, you're not. No way you're going back. I'm not going to let you. Who stops them from going back? The king. No way you're going back. And for the first time, here's the tragedy. For the first time in their lives, what happens? The blinders come off and they see him. And they realize this man is not my friend. What do they do in that clearing? To the man they followed there. What do they do to the man they followed? Cambry, what do they do? They burn him. They burned King Noah. Now what do they need? Tell me what they need. Tell me what would be really great in this moment if they had. How about a prophet? How about a prophet to guide them, right? Oh wait, what did they do? They need Abinadi. Oh wait, they burned Abinadi. There is no Abinadi. They got rid of the Abinadi of their life. Oh wait, I know they need their families. They need their family. They can fall upon their families for support. Wait. They got rid of their families. They followed blindly Noah into the wilderness and destroyed everything else good in their life. And then at the last minute, what does Satan do? He takes the blinders off. They see who Noah is and they burn him. Now, have you ever seen this happen in a real life? Have you ever watched someone burn everything good in their life because of a Noah. And then at the last minute, they see clearly, don't they? Some of them have already destroyed Abiniti to the point where they, they got nothing. I've watched it so many times. Sometimes Noah is a person. I watched, I watched someone I love This Noah comes into her life and she's just mesmerized by him and all her real friends start saying, what are you doing? This guy's no good for you. What are you doing? And guess what she started to say? I heard her say it. What was she saying? Stop judging him. You don't know him. And she burned her family, her parents. What are you doing? They forbade her. You're not gonna do this anymore. What did she say? She burned her parents. She burned all of her real friends. She ended up pregnant. And as soon as she got pregnant, where was he? My wife and I now babysit that little girl because he's gone and she has nothing. I just watch it all the time. The Noah, sometimes Noah is a substance. Sometimes Noah is a philosophy. Sometimes Noah, is so many things. And I just hear Heavenly Father waving His arms saying, one of the biggest problems of our day, the one of the problems of the society in which you live, you are growing up in a society where you can't tell the difference between wheat and tear. Which means you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get it right sometimes. And you're going to get it wrong sometimes. Now, here's the beauty of the book. of total side note, but let me give you a plug to study the Book of Mormon. If if this is the Book of Mosiah, okay? King Noah comes right in the middle. This is Noah and Abinadi. Chronologically, that came first. If you look at the timeline, this happened first. But that's not how the, the Lord presents the Book of Mosiah. He starts with Benjamin. Even though this happened afterwards, this comes first sequentially. And I think there's a message there. I think Benjamin is how to prevent Noah blindness. Abinadi is how to cure Noah blindness. And because Abinadi got the blinders off of one person. Can you name the one person Abinadi successfully helped? Alma. And who's going to teach you how to recover? The beauty of the book of Mosiah is there's prevention, there's cure, and there's healing. But this is a serious problem, and almost everyone I know has done it. Everyone I know, one point or another, lets the wrong person or the wrong thing into their life. And it poisons them and keeps the right thing out of your life. So we're gonna take the next couple of weeks and we're gonna talk about, one of these will be this one and one of these will be this one. Getting the tears out of my life. I have let in a tear. Now, if you let in a tear into your life, will it affect your relationship with Heavenly Father? Yep. So if we want to hear him, we need to understand that there might be some people, some things I need to separate from. It might be that spiritually speaking, the best thing you can do is stop hanging out with that group or that person or that thing. Now, that's not always possible, especially if it's a family member or it's a member you work with. I don't know if you've ever had a Noah at work that's a poison to you. But you don't want to quit your job. Or maybe it's at school. How many people are in your school, Cambry? It's a small little group, right? And if one of them's an absolute vicious poison to you, I can't quit school. This is my livelihood I'm talking about. So what do you do when you can't quit or you can't separate? And then let's talk about some of the most important wheats that we are pushing out of our life because we don't really see it as beneficial. Are you missing out on things that would increase revelation if you pulled them into your life, but you've kept them at a distance? What are the tares you've let in as wheat? And what are the wheats you've kept out as a tear? We'll tackle those over the next couple weeks, but I testify it affects everything in your life. It affects the flow of nutrients from heavenly father. It affects revelation. It affects your mood. It affects, am I wrong? You let in a tear of your life and how does, it, how does everything else in your life go? If you miss out on a wheat that would have made your life so much better, it's gonna affect your whole life. So that's where we're gonna go. One of the wheat, I wanna talk about a wheat that we push away. And one of them is you. We are so judgmental of ourselves. We are so mean to ourselves. If you treated other people openly, the way you secretly treat yourself, what would you be called by other people? We're horrible to ourselves, aren't we? There's a wheat that we have pushed away as tear. Accepting your story, owning your story. Weaknesses and all is vital to having revelation flow. We'll talk about that. I bear you my testimony that this is a challenge of the latter days. He saw it back in his day when he gave the parable. This story would not be so prominent in the Book of Mormon if they didn't see that this would be a problem in our day. So recognizing that it is, and recognizing that we've all done it, we've all let a Noah into our life that's poisoned us, how do we prevent it, fix it? How do we prevent it, break away from it, and fix it? And how do we recognize when I've pushed an Abinadi out of my life and pull them back in? One last story before we go, I I taught this lesson in a, in high, when I was teaching seminary, I taught this in high school. And there was a sophomore, I couldn't believe it, a sophomore in my class who had just come out of rehab. Sophomore. And guess who put him in rehab? His mom. His mom put him in rehab. So I asked him, when you were in rehab, when you were sent to rehab, tell me what you, what you thought about your mom. What did you think about your mom? What do you think he said? I hated my mom. I was so mad at her. I blamed her for everything that was broken in my life. I hated my mom. And I said, and now, after rehab, you've got your life back, you've got control of your life, you've broken an addiction. Now, tell me, what you do you think about your mom? And he started to weep. Big, tough sophomore, he started to weep. And said, now I see that no one loves me as much as my mom. And I said, my blinders are off. And you see what was wheat and what was tear. See where we're going for the next couple of weeks? Vital to the flow of information from Heavenly Father is letting the right people in and keeping the right people out and recovering when we've made a mistake. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.